part series entitled Future Leadership at Redeemer. And this first talk, we're going to be discussing what an elder is and giving a biblical overview of what it means to be an elder. So this is going to be pretty content heavy. Uh, The recording cut out about halfway through, but it's somewhat seamless. And so if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me at matt at welcometoredeemer.com. There's also a, a handout that goes along with this talk, and you can receive that through the Redeemer email or by emailing me. Thanks for listening. Let's do this. Let's start with prayer. And if you don't have a handout, it's back there on the, yeah, the metal chair where David is. And then we're going we're gonna to be doing just a lot of reading of Scripture, and uh, this will be a content-heavy uh, morning, but then when we get to the very end, we can have time for a little bit of Q and A and dialogue. So, but I, I am going to need your help with like reading some scripture. But let me pray first. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives and the fact that you woke us up this morning and we're here. And Lord, we want to be uh, good servants and shepherds of your church, and we also want to be good congregational members um, of your body, that we can reflect your image in this town and participate in your kingdom, participate in the work that you're, you're already currently doing. Uh, we simply want to get in on it, um, and we want to see people come to know you. And as we'll learn in our passage uh, here in a little bit, you do that through people. You want to do your work uh, through us. And so help us to see that, and as we think about the future of Redeemer and its leadership, Um, Help us to be wise and discerning about um, who to place in positions of leadership and how those who are willing to take that role up um, are to be in the midst of that role. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to have somebody read that first section, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. I want you to read the whole the whole section, and before we jump in, the context of Peter's life is that he was a disciple and denier of Jesus, who, after Jesus rose from the dead, became a, a very prominent leader in the church, um, and then still, after he was placed in that position, got really mixed up on what the gospel actually was. Um, so much so that Paul had to like confront him and say, Peter, um, you've lost track of the gospel. And so many scholars think that this letter was written towards the end of his life, after he had been through much suffering, after he'd been through much confusion about the gospel itself, after he had contact with the risen Jesus. Um, and this is what he says to uh, the churches kind of in the Asia Minor area. And so somebody read that, that section for me. This is 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, 
not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. <clears throat> Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Um, for those of you who are coming in, grab a sheet of paper here. There's an overview and then also a content of what we're going to be covering today. All right, think about some of the things in this passage that it talks about what an elder or shepherd is among the people. And let's just list some of those things, some things that maybe stuck out to you, some phrases. Uh, First, that, that first word, I exhort the elders among you. So he's speaking to the elders as a fellow elder. So that's that's interesting that he calls himself a fellow elder when he was a disciple and an apostle. Apostle was somebody who'd come into contact with the risen Jesus, but he sees himself also as an elder um, and witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so what does he tell what does he tell the elders to do? Yeah. Why do you think this uh, this term is used for governing the church? Let that sit. What what else do you what else do you uh, find in the text? Not domineering. Not domineering. Good. What else? Being willing and eager. Willing and eager, yes. Being examples. Examples, yeah. Like with their lives. Not seeking personal gain. Okay. Anything else? Oversight. Oversight. Good. Good morning. Good morning. You guys can get a handout there on the metal chair. Thank you so much. Oh, sorry, Adam. <laughs> here are some other chairs over here in the corner.
So we're, what we're doing for those who just arrived, we're looking at this First Peter uh, passage in chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, as sort of a jumping off point for thinking about what it means to be an elder and what it means to um, think about being an elder in uh, our church currently. All right, what do you see in verse uh, 5? Yeah, so this is, this is a command not only just for elders, but just everybody. Uh, clothe yourselves with humility, right, towards one another. That's going to be important when you put these two things together. You know, when you're called to to rule, to judge, to enact oversight or discipline, um, if you don't couple that with humility, you turn into a tyrant. Um, And if you uh, don't rule with authority or make decisions, without any sort of authoritative voice, you become soft and there is no truth. So the the goal is to speak the truth in love. Come on in. Maggie, Maggie, we're in 1 Peter 5, verse 1 through 11. (laughs) She nodded. Yes, I heard you, bro. Why don't you tell us about your dog, Maggie? What's his name? Is his name Dirk? Ah. Yeah. Dirk Novinsky. Here's a musical accompaniment. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, so the the context of the last half of the passage, you know, um, Peter says, because of this, you, you can cast all your anxieties on God because his mighty hand, with his mighty hand, he cares for you. And so you see this sort of uh, replica of what it means to be an elder in the character of God himself, that he governs and rules over all. And our tendency is to think, especially when we, we suffer or bad circumstances come into our lives, that he doesn't care about us, that he's not gentle, that he's not um, lowly. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. He's like, no, you, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to have anxiety. You can take your cares and anxieties to God because you know that he cares for you even under his sovereign rule, his sovereign hand. And so there's an interplay here between an, an elder and the actual character of God. Um, and there's more we could say about, you know, uh, being watchful about the devil and all that. But we need to move on um, to other scripture passages. So in the Old Testament, I'm not going to read these, but I, I, I just want to read this paragraph um, to you. From the beginning of Israelite history, the elders uh, led the various clans and tribes. And when the tribes came together to form the nation of Israel, the elders of the tribes naturally assumed important roles in governing the affairs of the nation. Moses was commanded to inform the elders of the Lord's uh, intention to deliver Israel from Egypt to take the elders with him to confront the Pharaoh. Similarly, 70 of the elders participated with Moses Um, at the covenant meal at Sinai, which is very interesting. It says that the elders and Moses went up on a mountain and ate and drank with God. Um, They feasted with him. And uh, the the last section here, as the task of governing Israel grew in complexity, so as the people of Israel multiplied and there was more and more people, more and more problems, 
You remember Moses' father-in-law said, if you try to carry this burden by yourself, what's going to happen? You're going to get crushed, right? And so they placed uh, elders to help govern and settle disputes and all sorts of things, which we'll discuss later. So that's sort of the the beginning of uh, the history of how we think about eldership in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Now, in the the synagogue period, so the the time between um, the exile from Babylon to the New Testament, so think 450 B.C., to uh, the time when Jesus came, um, there was a, a system that was put in place called the, called the Sanhedrin, and there was a council of elders that helped rule and govern God's people during that time. And you kind of see this in various parts of Scripture, but it's more ex- extra biblical that you learn that. Matthew 15 to Matthew 16 to, you kind of see that uh, referenced. And then in the New Testament itself, um, you got many, many, many references to elders and what that means. So all, all through Acts, 1 Timothy, Titus, and I'll just read this. In the earliest Jewish Christian churches, at least the church in Jerusalem, the position of elder was almost certainly modeled after the Old Testament pattern. And although there are very... Uh, there are few specific details about the function of elders in the Jerusalem church. They apparently served as a decision-making council. Uh, they are often mentioned in conjunction with the apostles, and some passages give the impression that the apostles and elders of Jerusalem consider themselves to be a decision-making council for the whole church. And so, uh, the issue, and we'll discuss this in the sermon today, but the issue in the first century church was... How are Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians going to inhabit the same space? How are they going to get along? How are they going to be the church together and unified with so much cultural difference, with so much cultural baggage? Um, And they got together, all the church leaders got together in Acts 15 in Jerusalem, and they had this sort of decision to make. Are we going to make the Gentiles become more Jewish? Um, emblematic of that was to be circumcised, uh, but also follow all sorts of Jewish regulations and, and laws. Or are we not? Are we going to say, no, they're, they're covered in Christ, in the blood of Christ, particularly. And so they got together uh, in Acts 15 and they made that decision. Um, and I want, I want you to think like, okay, that seems really, really remote maybe from our context. But these uh, Jewish Christians were literally looking at the Bible and saying, it says in here, in the Holy, the Word, the Word of God, that you have to do these things to follow God. And so they're not like way off base. And, and Paul gets a revelation from the risen Jesus and says... In me, you can be righteous. You can be right with God. You see how that, that would cause like a major theological tension, cultural tension within the first century church. And if you read the letters with that in mind, they kind of pop. They come to life, especially places like Romans 14, 15, and 16. Um, and so because, because of that tension, you know, uh, each place that Paul and Barnabas, Titus, Timothy go to, they, they need help kind of. Shepherd, shepherding the flock, ruling over the people. Um, and so let's, let's look at one of these places called Crete. So Paul says to one of his uh, uh, younger guys that he's discipling, uh, 
named Titus, he, he says this. Somebody read Titus 1, 6 through 9. You read it loud. This is why I loved you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint the elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy words taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict Okay. What are some things you see there that uh, an elder should be? And we're, we're going to get even deeper into like qualifications and character of elders next week. David Dawson going to help us with that from a First uh, Timothy passage. And we have anointed people with oil and prayed for them that are still with us. Um, and so we actually, here at Redeemer, we take that one pretty literally. Um, we are to shepherd the flock with pastoral discipline. Uh, Matthew 18, 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What do you think that means? Don't you worry. So there seems to be this connection between uh, Jesus when he hands over the keys of the kingdom to the disciples. And we'll see this again in our passage. I remember preaching from in Ephesians 2 that there was a foundation of the disciples and the apostles and the prophets in the first century. And that 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 authority from heaven, from Jesus to the disciples and to the apostles was given over to the church throughout each age. Um, now, if you go this route with it, we have very different views of what that means in terms of how Roman Catholics see authority and how Protestants see authority, which I don't want to get into right now. But basically, Roman, Roman Catholicism sees what's called Petrine succession there, uh, where Peter becomes the first, what's called the Pope. Um, we think, as, as Protestants and Presbyterians, that uh, there wasn't necessarily anything super special about Peter, but he was one of the apostles that Jesus built the church around. And Peter became sort of this representative of the Jewish church, and Paul became representative of the Gentile church, and they had to work together. Um, we can talk more about that later if you want. But the, the point is, uh, Jesus hands a lot of authority over to human beings, to care for other human beings. And we'll talk about what that means at the end. Um, elders are uh, they are to oversee the flock in, in its practice. Um, Acts 16, 4 through 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered 
uh, to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in numbers daily. So when that church got together in Jerusalem in Acts 15, they made that big decision about circumcision. They wrote a letter to all the churches that were to be dispersed in the, the first century to all the churches. And it was really simple um, and straightforward. But that letter got distributed to to each uh, Christian church, you know, in Turkey and uh, Crete and all these other places surrounding Jerusalem. And part of the elders job was to communicate that to the local churches. And so our system is set up in such a way that uh, once a year I go to what's called General Assembly, where uh, nationally all of the PCA pastors get together and decide on things that are controversial, um, whether that's like racial things, sexuality things, creation, you know, theological debates on creation are the ones that I've been a part of um, in terms of a debate over the past 10 or 12 years. And we, you know, we talk that through, we pray about it. Uh, and then we come to a decision together. Not every, everybody is unanimous or in consensus of where they stand on a particular issue, but collectively we make a decision and then we pass it back down to the presbyteries and it can be argued about there. Uh, but then what's decided is then it gets dispersed to the local congregations. And so that's how our structure is uh, patterned after what we see in Acts 15, that when there's a decision that needs to be made, it's part of the elder's job to like think about it, to weigh it with scripture, to pray, to discern what's biblical, and then to pastor your people, to shepherd the flock. Um, uh, Galatians 2.11, um, this is a controversial issue, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. You remember why Peter stood condemned is because he was retreating back from eating with Gentile Christians and only, only eating with the Jewish buddies that he had because uh, they were looking at the Gentile Christians and thinking, nah, I don't know if they're actually in. And so Paul immediately addresses that. Um, it's practice. It's doctrine. Uh, elders must oversee the flock's doctrine, which we have talked about already. And we must oversee uh, the church's, um, the flock's oversight that we must rule well. Uh, this passage in 1 Timothy five seventeen is um, one of those passages that our denomination looks at and says, okay, there's, there's a distinction among elders here. There's, there are elders who um, vocationally give their whole lives over to teaching, preaching, and praying. And we call those teaching elders in the PCA. And then there are elders who have like what we would call normal jobs in, in the world who do rule and, and govern over the church, but it's not their sole life's calling to teach and preach all the time and, and shepherd the church in that sort of direct vocational way. And part of where we get that is 1 Timothy 5.17, where Paul says, those who rule well should be considered with uh, should be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Um, after discussing how much division was in the church at Corinth, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 4.1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, that word mystery 
is where we get the, it's mysterion in Greek. It's what eventually became the word sacrament in Latin. And that's where um, part of how we think about our role as teaching elders in the PCA, uh, we, we steward these great mysteries of God, uh, these sacraments, mm-hmm. baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they, they aren't ours necessarily to give to you as the people of God, but they are, they are ours to steward. It was there before we got here, and we'll be there long after we leave. And that's why, in some sense, you can have, uh, well, I don't want to get into that. Um, look at uh, Acts 16.4 in Ephesians 20. As they went their way through the cities, they delivered them to uh, the observance of the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem, which we, we just read. Um, and again, I'm going to talk about that in the sermon. Remember your leaders, Hebrews 13 said, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way and imitate their faith. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 13, 7. Um, and then finally, the manner in which uh, we see the New Testament elders living. They uh, live with authority. Um, they live uh, in plurality of Authority as well. Uh, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Acts 15. Let the elders who rule well, rule well be considered of a, uh, worthy of a double honor. Each kind of elder has equal authority in ruling and decision making. And this is one of the reasons why I'm a Presbyterian, because of the plurality of power and the protection for all parties involved. So uh, let's say you, this is how it plays out. Let's say you come to me and you say, Matt, I think we should have Sunday school. Or Matt, I think Sunday school is lame and we should nix it. I can't make a unilateral decision and say, you know what, you're right. Or you know what, you're wrong. Um, I have to go to the elders who have been elected by you all, not as like, you're not like the constituency, but you did place them above the congregation to make decisions that affect your lives and affect the life of the church. Um, And so if that's the case, uh, we need protections among each other so that I'm, I'm going to just by sin and by default, I'm going to prefer certain things that like Tyler is not going to prefer or Jason's not going to prefer And what we need is each perspective weighing in on a matter, thinking about it, praying about it, going to Scripture, thinking about it some more, going back to Scripture. takes a long time. And then coming to a conclusion not to please everybody, um, but to give God honor and glory through the reflection of our diverse community and what we need in this particular and given time in history. Does that make sense? And so to have a plurality of decision-making authority is very, very important. It's one of the reasons why I'm a Presbyterian. It's because those who I differ with have space and have a place to speak and that their voice needs to be heard because I need them and they need me because of sin, right? Because I'm skewed. I see the world through what Van Til called yellow tinted glasses. And I see it selfishly. And I need my other brothers and sisters to come and say, you know, you, you may be a little off here. And then, then we can be like, yeah, maybe. Let's talk about that. 
you know, that, those are the best conversations that you can have in an elder meeting. The worst kinds are when you're like, no, you're wrong, you know, and you start, you start pointing the finger. But the reason why it's so important to be humble as an elder is because you know you come into this world thinking selfishly, trying to protect yourself, trying in any way not to suffer. Um, and you need protection from that. And the church needs protection from that selfishness as well. And so you, you lead as an elder. You are to lead in weakness, through your weakness, through your brokenness. Um, I would even say through the areas in which you feel like you doubt the most. And that's where God is going to make himself shine even brighter. Not that we glorify sin or not that we glorify our brokenness, but we glorify the God who glorifies himself through our brokenness. Like, like broke, you know, like broke jars, cracked pots, right? Is what Paul says. Um, so uh, here's where I want us to dialogue with the time that we have left. My goodness. I usually don't talk this much. It's 10 o'clock. All right. Let's, hey, let's spend, let's spend five minutes. Okay. Uh, two and a half of it for, for Q&A. And then we'll, we'll close in prayer. I think the the three themes that you see coming out in what it means to be an elder is that um, that person needs to be humble, biblical, and relational. And the reason why is because these people are placed in positions of power that dramatically affect the institution that is the church, which dramatically affect people's lives. And as you know, uh, when you're in leadership, you have the power to cause great harm in people's lives or to cause great flourishing. And so just like when you're thinking about marriage, you want to be very careful what you get yourself into. Um, and we want to be, very, the scriptures even say, be very slow to put people in places of leadership, especially if they're a new Christian. And so there's a reason why the church moves at a snail's pace. Why we make decisions so slowly. That's intentional. Um, for the protection of you, for the protection of us. And so, um, who are the types of people we ought to be looking for at Redeemer? Can you please tell us who are our elders? Just to kind of That's a great question, Jim. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> That's a great question. Bill Urban is on sabbatical. The rest of these are active. So, all these guys, Phil Urban, David Dow, Troy Kirk, Andy Wade, Troy Power, are ruling elders. They were installed at the beginning of this uh, particularized church. with the, the So Redeemer has had three pastors. The first was named Toby Brightman, the second Michael Gordon, I'm the third lead pastor. Adam, on the other hand, has been here all along, okay? Um, and so, so have these guys. So they were uh, placed at, in, in the position of elder when the church was particularized probably back in 2012? 2012. 2010. Um, and so, 
They, they are currently our, our elders. Uh, Austin Mackerel and Brit Ehlers were and have in the past year stepped down from that role and resigned. Um, and so we are elders, we belong to the Presbytery. We're members of the Presbytery for some governing structure that I was explaining earlier. Um, so those are our current elders. And they serve as long as they're, they are led to serve? Or? So they are required to take a sabbatical uh, every six years, but they can take a sabbatical every three years. And what a sabbatical is, is a year off. Um, and so they, they do that rotation. Every three years, they either take a, a year off or they can stay on if they feel like they have energy and, and then they are forced to take a sabbatical every six years. Um, and no, no elders have been installed beyond this crew. Yes? Okay, I have a question and I don't know how to... So when it comes to decisions like um, church planting or how to follow the guidelines set by the CDC yeah. or the health department or yeah. whatever, is that same process that you talked about earlier, that decision making of everybody that's involved? Yep, exactly. So, so really, and teaching elders together. That's right. And then I know that you mentioned in our last, well, two congregation meetings ago about how we have specific elders that are supposed to be helpers of like specific people. Is that still going on? No, Troy, Troy Kirk sent out an email. So that, that was sent out when COVID first hit and after Jordan died. Okay. And I knew that after that, I was gonna be um, unable to care for the amount of people that I was caring for, at least for that foreseeable few months. And so what we did, I asked the elders to divvy up the directory and, and have uh, reach out to people primarily because of COVID and Jordan, you know, just because of the, tra the trauma of both of those things. But that was never meant to be a perpetual, like, okay, these are your people. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, there are some things that came up in the congregational meeting that people voiced about wanting the elders to lead life groups or be more visible, serve more. And I, I think every elder this fall is leading a life group. Um, and the, there's definitely been some concerns voiced about how, how much is placed on me and how much the elders are doing. Um, and and I, can, I can definitely say they are being great elders, in my opinion. And I'm very thankful for them. But yes, in terms of decisions, uh, yeah, we can, like, I, am, as the moderator of the session, will, like, recommend things and then we'll discuss and vote. Whether that's a mask, uh, or whether that's church planting, whether that's vision of the church, culture of the church, uh, how to handle disciplinary matters sometimes. Um, so it's not it's not just like a unilateral decision that I that I can make. It, it okay. has to be discussed. Okay. So, or if I want to change something up, like uh, with the worship service, I can't just be like, you know what, this week uh, 
we're not going to do communion the way that we're doing it. Switch it up, you know. Uh, the elders govern that. They rule over that. And so, as a protection from, for the people and, the, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So you don't go rogue on us? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, you know, let's be honest. We're all broken and it's possible. So... I have another question. Okay, let's let's make that the last one and let's pray to end. Okay. Are there any how do I say this? Are there any potential candidates to be for people to be elders? Well right we're, we're I that, mean as we're learning this, will there be a time coming where we will as a congregation vote. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So this is all the this okay. is all the prep work for that. This okay. is sort of the prime the pump to to get the congregation thinking who are our elders and deacons, who are our possible elders and deacons. Okay. Um, and then there there will be and I'll explain this in a later class. There'll be an election process, then an examination process, and then some people won't pass the examination maybe or some will and that'll be interesting. We've published the name don't pass these. Yeah. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a grueling process for everybody involved. Um, okay. And it's it's meant to be that way because it's a, it's a high calling. Calling. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. You answered my question. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Jen, could I get you to pray for us to close us out? Just that, that God would give us some discernment on how we think about Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this instruction um, so we can better understand our leadership structures.